It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 300 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, March 23rd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. If you don't know that by that, if you don't know that by now, I don't know what to say. Uh, it's been 300 episodes, but thank you for tuning in. Uh, Locked On Raptors, of course, is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, which hosts team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams, as well as Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd, Locked On NBA with David Locke. The NFL shows are heating up ahead of the draft as well, so check out the corresponding Locked On NFL show for the team that you like um, in, in murder sport. Um, and uh, make sure you find all the, sh- the shows that you like on iTunes separately. Leave them a rating. Leave a review if you, fi- if you find a host that you dig. And if you find Locked on Raptors, which you should do, it's, it's very easy. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all the different places where podcasts are held. Um, you can leave a rating or a review, and it's very helpful. It takes no time at all. It's, it moves us up the rankings. It, it keeps us up in the conversation and visible and all that stuff. So uh, thank you in advance for doing that. Uh, and let's get to it. On today's show, the 300th episode, speca- I'm, I can't even speak today, which is pretty fitting considering how I've bumbled my way through the first three, 299 episodes. But today for the 300th episode spectacular, it's a mailbag podcast with our friend Joe Wolfond from The Score. How's it going, buddy? It's going really well, man. I'm uh, honored to be here for the tricentennial. I can think of no higher honor to bestow upon somebody. So uh. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Congratulations, man. That's uh, that's a lot of episodes. Yeah, uh, it certainly is. I think if the bosses were to go back and listen and sort of do the math, I don't think I've held up my five shows a week bargain, but uh, I'm close enough, I think. And uh, 300 episodes sure is a lot. All right, we're going to do mailbag questions. We got a bunch of interesting questions in today, so uh, this should be fun. I got to find the tweet that I sent out with all the replies. Uh, all right, here we go. This one from uh, Locked on Raptors contributor, uh, LeBon Osman at LeBonStar1, uh, the franchise on Twitter. Rank the bench players from least to most importance. Uh, and I, we can kind of leave out the, the tertiary guys, I suppose. The, the Malcolm Millers and the Bebe Nogueras and, those, and, and the like, I suppose. Unless you want to. Unless you want to slot them in ahead of any of these guys. Joe, rank the bench players from least to most important. Um, yeah, I mean, if we wanted to get really cruel, we could maybe consider like, sw- <laughs> like swapping in uh, Malcolm Miller ahead of norm but i think if we're if we're just going with like with with your main uh bench contributors i feel like norm has to be at the at the low end of that totem pole mm-hmm. um and probably siakam at the top and then i on I, I couldn't even begin to try and rank the guys in the middle like do you do you have a sense of which of like between purtle delon van vliet and miles who am i forgetting and, and cj like I guess maybe CJ is like more important than those other guys, just because there's really nobody else on the team that does anything close to what he does. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just, like the ability to have somebody like that who uh, is such an off-ball threat that um, 
you, you basically like can't sag off him at all and like to, to have the ability to just like catch and shoot as quickly as he does is something that you can't really replicate anywhere else on the roster mm-hmm. but um between like delon van vliet and pertle i don't know i don't know how to sort that out what do you think uh i find it really hard as well uh i think right pertle delon uh, Pertle and Delon, right and Delon are the same people. Good God, this has been a bad start. Uh, <laughs> I was up at four thirty for radio, so I'm uh, I'm totally out of it today. Um, no, I think Wright, Pertle, and Fred are kind of all in that mix. Um, but I I would say for me, maybe in like a grander scale sort of thing, I'd say Norm is probably more important than maybe even Wright and like Pertle, just because. Him finding himself again and kind of regaining the form that has saved the Raptors' asses two times in the playoffs is kind of important, and it's the upside of him finding himself again is significant. So I would say maybe it's kind of a bit of a short end of the stick type of thing to put him last in terms of like current contributions. Of course, he's last, but I think in the grander scale, like he's very important, and they have him locked up to a contract that's going to pay him pretty well over the next few seasons, and it's going to be necessary for him to either. To, in order to play himself into being trade bait or to just play himself into that contract and being useful. Um, I'd say of those guys, it's so ridiculous to say this, but I think maybe Pirtle's the least important just because I think Jonas has done a reasonable enough job playing defense and I think they have enough guys who can play at the five. Like I think Serge is going to play at the five at some points. Um, so maybe Pirtle's skills, while he's incredible, and we've talked about Pirtle's defense uh, frequently and it's sort of a, uh, a, a sort of erotic thing for I think a lot of Raptors Twitter watching Jakob Pertl play defense um, I think maybe his contributions are a little bit cancelled out because some other guys do it I would say Miles is actually probably the most important ahead of Siakam just because of the shooting that you mentioned and like I think there will be a time where CJ Miles factors into lineups where you're just not going to be able to play Siakam he might actually play in lieu of Siakam at certain times because of the shooting um, obviously Siakam provides so many other things and you can make a really good argument that he is more important um, but I think Miles's skills are, are just more reliable, I suppose. And so I'd put him ahead of Siakam. I would say Fred's probably third behind those two just because his shooting's really good as well. Um, and you can, yeah. have, you can have him out with that closing lineup with DeMar and Kyle and ideally have him handle the ball a little bit less and maybe work off ball a, a little bit and be sort of a deterrent to teams sending too much help either DeMar or Kyle's way. But I, I think regardless of what role he plays, I think... He, his shooting and just his playmaking, which has improved so much this season, his finishing around the basket, I think that has kind of put him ahead of DeLon, even though I would still think DeLon is probably like a more talented player than Fred and probably has a higher upside. I would, uh, I think Fred to this team is... You know, you could argue that Fred's like the fourth or fifth most important player on the team, which is kind of insane for an undrafted guy from last year. Um, and then I would go right and then Norm, uh, although Norm... Or, right, Norm, Pirtle, or Norm, Pirtle, right... Or right, Norm, right, Pirtle, Pirtle last... Um, but like those three, I think are kind of in the mix there. I think Fred, Miles, and Siakam. Like if the rotations to shorten is going to shorten down, come playoff time, I feel like Fred, Miles, and Siakam will be the guys that don't get cut off um, in terms yeah. of their minutes. And I, I honestly, I think if it gets shortened, we'll probably see different variations of who on the bench ends up playing. But um, like, yes, they'll be playing eight guys, but they have twelve different guys they can go to at certain spots. Um, in a given game. Uh, so I think Wright and Pirtle will have places in those series, but I think Fred, Miles, Siakam were probably the firmest in the rotation spots, and uh, I think that's probably for good reason. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really easy just to forget the, the contributions Pirtle makes because it, it, they're so not flashy, but if you look at, like, numbers as far as um, defending at the rim this year, 
like his defensive field goal percentage at the rim is up there among like the absolute best in the league. Like he's up there with Embiid, he's up there with Gobert. Yeah. And he's really just become like an unbelievable rim protector. And with what's happened to Serge, like the second half of the season, or even you could argue like since he came to Toronto, like he just, he just hasn't been that guy. Like they, they don't have any other rim protectors really that mm. um, are capable of altering shots um, at the hoop the way the Pirtle is. But like I think your logic is sound. I just think um, I just think his contributions get slept on sometimes, and um, I, I, re- I really respect like what he's able to do just as far as like going straight up, challenging shots. His timing is unbelievable, and even at the offensive end, like his ability to just like catch the ball and like make a move toward the hoop. Like he might catch it at the dotted line and like make a move toward the hoop and hit a layup without taking a dribble. Like he does that all the time, and it's yeah. really hard and really impressive. So. Yeah, ranking the 6 through 12 players in the Raptors, not easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which is we're lucky pretty, to have them all is, is where I land on that. Yeah, it's so. a pretty enviable problem to have. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Um, One thing that could sort of change the calculus on who the most important among these guys is is a potential starting lineup change. And, like, I don't think it's going to happen in the regular season. I think OG did enough early in the season to sort of warrant maybe them trying to figure it out with him now that he's back from injury and seeing if he can kind of regain some of the confidence and just sort of steadiness that he showed early in the year. Um, but if you're picking from this group of guys, and I guess Pirtle and maybe Siakam are excluded from this, but I think everyone else is kind of in the running. Um, if you're going to sort of shake up the starting five going into the playoffs or in a playoff series, mid-series, um, who would you think is the most likely, and maybe this is matchup dependent, but who would you sort of pinpoint as maybe the most likely guy to eventually maybe see a spot start or two in the playoffs if, if OG continues to waver? Um, I think it's got to be CJ, right? Like, yeah. You, I mean, I don't know. He, he works really well with that bench group, but I feel like, um, I don't know. I, I like really like what more do you want? playing alongside DeMar and Kyle than a guy who is basically just going to run around screens and spot up and catch and shoot, you know? And, like, like OG's defensive contributions have been invaluable, and he, he's also shown the ability to confidently knock down shots from outside at various points. But um, it, in the playoffs, I just feel like you might see defenses completely ignore him, and that's really going to cramp things up. And I think the, the best guy that you can bring in to grease the wheels a little bit is going to be CJ and I think you probably if OG's really not giving you enough you probably take the trade-off that comes with having CJ in there um and what you're going to lose at the defensive end by making that swap give me DeLon 
Give me small forward Delon. <laughs> okay. Because if you're gonna stick something next to those guys, defense as much as shooting is is, is important. Defense might also be kind of important next to Demar. Um, and yeah. like Delon's not gonna be able to guard LeBron, but he'll be able to guard Chris Middleton or someone like that in the playoffs if you really want him to. And he's, I mean, not a crazy huge volume, just 1.4 attempts per game, but he's a 40.5% catch-and-shoot three-point shooter this season. Like, obviously, his stroke is kind of slow, and it's a small enough sample that you can have some trepidation as to whether or not it'll carry over into a playoff series, but I think it's good enough that it can work, especially if you have Serge out there shooting and, and Jonas continues to sort of provide, even if he's not shooting a ton of threes, he kind of provides a little bit of just, like, breath to the offense by hanging around at the elbows and stuff like that. Um, I, I I mean, it, it will be totally matchup dependent, of course, but CJ's defense worries me a little tiny bit. And I kind of like CJ, if you're going to still continue to run out bench units with, like, three or four bench guys, I kind of like CJ playing with Pascal and Yak because it kind of counteracts those two, not having anything in the way of shooting. Um, True. And I think you could kind of run into some issues if you're running those two out there without just the prolific shooter that is CJ Miles with them. Um, but no, there aren't bad options. I mean, it'd be nice if OG would kind of rediscover the form that he had early in the season. I, it's not even so much as shooting. It's not even so much as shooting that's concerning me. It's his defense that just looked a lot, I don't know, lazier or just like he just looks less attentive. He, he's less able to stay in front of guys. And maybe that's just him kind of getting his bearings after being hurt. But. I don't know. This is going well away from the question, but are you like how concerned are you that OG is just not going to be the guy he was early this season for the remainder of this year? I think I'd be more concerned about it if I didn't, if we weren't having this conversation, if we weren't having, you know, if we weren't bringing up like all these other viable options and ways yeah. that they could kind of mitigate that. Um, so I'm not so concerned about it just because this is you know exactly the reason that you want to have depth on your team is because if one guy gets injured if one guy starts to struggle then you just have a lot of different options and a lot of different looks that you can throw out there but um if you're asking me like do i think that he's going to get back to being the guy that he was at the start of the season come playoff time i'm pretty skeptical of that yeah just because for a guy who's coming off a major knee surgery and has never played a season nearly this long before it kind of makes sense to me that at this point in the season he might be starting to feel it, um, especially having that ankle injury. And I, I, I don't have any concerns about him long term. I still think he's going to be like a really important piece for this team going forward. Mm-hmm. But I think it's very possible that he's a guy who ends up kind of falling out of the rotation in the playoffs. Yeah, and like that's going to happen. And if you're going on meritocracy, like he is the guy to fall out at this point. So uh, at least the Raptors have some leeway and things they can do and they, they've played a lot of three point guard or three guard lineups two point guards in DeMar like I think they can work their way around it uh, let's move on because we have 14 minutes of content from one question <laughs> let's move on to uh, question number two from Robert Flom uh, from the Clippers SB Nation blog top three favorite and least favorite fan bases on NBA Twitter what do you think um, I feel like I don't really have any favorite fan bases on NBA Twitter. I got like yeah, it, it, just because Twitter, the NBA, the phrase NBA Twitter is involved, it's all inherently bad. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but I feel like I feel like NBA Twitter sort of breaks down, or, or at least if we're talking about fan base Twitter, it kind of breaks down along two lines, which is like um, 
the exceptionalist fan bases and like the exceptionally needy fan bases, <laughs> which like I think we both know where like Raptors Twitter falls in that category. But... I think it's kind of towing the line between both right now, so making it do- yeah, that's a good doubly point. obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, well, we're really in that sweet spot, right, where we've been needy for so long and suddenly like have this incredible team that we have no idea what to do with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, like, both of those things are extremely annoying in their own ways, but I find the neediness Twitter like a little bit easier to tolerate just because I, I sort of um, can relate to it more. Right. Um, so like those exceptionalist fan bases like like Boston's and, and the Lakers um, are the ones that probably grind my gears the most. Um, but I don't know if you have any kind of specificity to add to that. That's uh, Boston's definitely on the list. It's, uh, I have probably a list of more than three. <laughs> I think it's probably Boston. Houston's pretty... I see, I don't really interact with fans as much as I do just, like, writers and, and people who cover the team and stuff. And, like, mostly just, like, my interactions with them kind of will dictate how I view the entire Twitter, whether it's fans or writers or whoever. Um, but Houston's seems, and like this is probably a product of them having like a very bad broadcast and being a very homerish and and oddly needy broadcast for a team that's as good as the Houston Rockets are. Um, but like the Rockets kind of grind me a little bit. Uh, the Utah Jazz, I think their fans are very very intense. <laughs> um, yeah. And like I but like Jazz writers, I know I think are fine and good, and the, I think. You know the the boss man David Locke certainly does an excellent job covering that team from and does a really good job nationally covering the league as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think Jazz fans are a little intense, and uh, yeah, Lakers is good too. Derrick Rose fans are probably the worst. <laughs> Fair, yeah. For going I, I, can bases. we call that a fan base? But... Yeah, it's certainly a fan base. I think. Uh, yeah. It, uh, or just like a garbage pit, one of the two. <laughs> um, Fair. Yeah. My, my favorites. Yeah, my favorites. I really enjoyed dealing with Bucks people last year. Bucks fans were, uh, and, and like they've kind of taken a turn this season where they're just angsty all the time because they hate their team so much. Um, yeah. But like every Bucks person I've dealt with is good. Robert asks the question, and so maybe this is biased, but like Clippers Twitter has always been pretty nice because there's like five people on Clippers Twitter, <laughs> and, they're all, <laughs> and they're all reasonably nice to deal with. Um, and then. Uh, oh, Nick's Twitter rules. It, it, yeah, it, that's it, true. It owns. They're, they they own the like they're neither needy nor uh, nor are they arrogant. They're just no. They they They've cornered the market on self deprecation. Yes, sure. <laughs> and it's it's perfect. Um, yeah. Do you have any other to add to that? No, not really. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think you nailed it. All right. Uh, next one here from at Six Dog. Excuse me. Uh, if you had to listen to a podcast hosted by one or two of the current Raptors, who would they be, and what would their pod be called? Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess like Yak and Skills would just be the obvious one. Yeah, um, yeah. Just the name is right there, but judging by their work in, the, in those Google commercials, I don't know if that would actually be an enjoyable listen at all. <laughs> um, um, they, they do a I, podcast. I like they do a podcast with an Alexa thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> and the alexa would be the most engaging personality in that no I'm, I'm just kidding they I, I feel like those guys actually like have really good chemistry and and they'd be they'd be pretty fun to listen to yeah. um they, they you know they just need some some screen coaching yeah for um for, for those google commercials but uh there's actually like 
I think it was in the last open gym. There was like a great segment where the two of them were just like hanging out, shooting the shit, and it was pretty awesome. I think Yak could host like a solo like X's and O's heavy podcast, like a like a dunk on type thing. He's very good at talking yeah. about X's and O's with. He's probably the my favorite rapper to talk just like actual basketball questions with. True. Um, so maybe he'd be good for that. Um, like CJ doing a podcast would be pretty good. Yeah, for sure. He, he he's probably like just like the most purely charismatic yeah. dude on the team, right? Yeah, just like him interviewing rappers. <laughs> the mass fresco pod nice. yeah something like that i like it yeah uh all right moving on next question here from at raps fan one two three seven why are people still scared of the bucks joe any theories <laughs> i think it's pretty simple right <laughs> like the, the memory the, the memory of that series last year is still pretty fresh um and of course the raptors won that series which you maybe wouldn't know judged by the way people talk about it but mm-hmm. it was super stressful um I don't think anybody needs to be reminded of that. And going up against Giannis for six games in a row was really unsettling and really terrifying. And he's probably only gotten better since then. So I understand just like not wanting to play against a team where they're going to have, like I think, by far the best player on the floor in a series. Like That's just a frightening proposition. That's so, true. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's much more complicated than that. There's, For me, my feeling has always been, like, Milwaukee should play Giannis at center more, and they never really do, and I feel like maybe in a playoff series, that's, that's the kind of wild card that could swing things in their favor and make them just more deadly than they've been throughout the season. Um, and they just have, like, a lot of different lineup combinations that would give me some pause and, and make me... A, a little bit concerned um, from a matchup perspective, um, but yeah, they've been they've been really bad this year. So I'm not overly concerned. Like that, that seems like it's probably going to be the first round matchup. I'm not overly concerned that the Raptors are going to lose to them. It's just going to be really annoying, and, and I don't I don't need that in my life. <laughs> like I don't need six games of Giannis in my life again. You know? Yeah, I'm gonna let everyone in on a little secret. The Bucks are ass. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they have no like, idea they, what they're doing. They don't know how but to play was basketball. The same last year, like that's that's a thing, you know. Like they weren't good last year either. Mm, I think honestly, it's weird because Jason Kidd was an awful coach and his defense was really silly. It oddly worked against the Raptors for a little bit, and yeah, I, I think that's like one of the few matchups that, against which it would kind of work. But uh, when Thon Maker stopped being like Hakeem Olajuwon, <laughs> at least defensively, True. that that kind of went away, and I just. They don't have any offensive identity. Like, Eric Bledsoe's hijacking the offense way too much, and I think you're very okay with that. Um, and I just, they don't really know how to play basketball. Like, that's the best way I can sum up the Bucks. Giannis is amazing, yeah. but Giannis was incredible in that series last year, and it still wasn't even close to enough. So, um, I just, I know they are, like, I don't even know if they're that much better than they were last year. Like, they, yes, they have Bledsoe, but. Like, Maker has taken a huge drop off. John Henson is a guy that I feel like Jonas can just eat for lunch six games or five games or four games, whatever it takes. Like, yeah. I don't know. They're, they're not scary to me. I'd rather play the Bucks than the Heat just because I think it's a more entertaining matchup. And also, I think it's just as easy for the Raptors. And also, the Raptors are just a better team and probably just a little bit beyond the Bucks in terms of like their yeah. level of play. And DeMar, 
I would argue is a lot closer to being the best player in the series than he was last year. He's not the best player in the series, but he's closer to it. Um, so like the disparity there is is different. And like Kyle Lowry, knock on wood, won't be coming back from being off for a long time with a wrist injury. Like I think there's a lot of reason to be confident that the Raptors of this year are just that much more well equipped to beat the Bucks pretty handily. I, I would pick that to be a four or five game series. I really would. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so one thing I'll add is Lowry's always had trouble with Bledsoe. Like, right. j- just generally really quick guards um, give him trouble because that's, like, his forte, he does a lot of good things on defense, but his forte is not staying in front of quick guards. Right. Um, and and Bledsoe has typically kind of torched him. Um, and then the other thing with Henson, like, he- I don't know why he plays as often as he does, but that just feels like a, a guy to me who might be promptly excised from their rotation if if things aren't working out mm. and and they and then that's when I think they could start going with like Giannis of center lineups that the Raptors wouldn't have obvious answers for defensively but I do think the Raptors are way better and I think um they still won that series in six games last year despite the fact that things like they, they didn't play well at all yeah um so as long as they can avoid a similar drop off from regular season to playoffs then I don't see any reason why you wouldn't be right why that wouldn't be a five game series but again I just think the memory of of Giannis doing um, unmentionable things to the Raptors is still pretty fresh in people's minds and that's probably why we're all still a little a little frightened of that matchup that's fair uh, I'd be more scared of Eric Spolstra than whatever's coaching the Bucks right now uh, all right, a, piece this of, uh, a piece of white bread <laughs> I yeah. literally never heard of Joe Prunty before he got that job. Like, I had no idea who this guy was. Yeah, I'm with you. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Uh, all right, next question here from Josh at Sergio Dip. Uh, on the off chance the Raps make it out of the East, what's your celebration routine looking like? Oh, man. Uh, I don't even know what I would do. Um, like, yeah. This has never been a question we've had to comp- <laughs> contemplate before. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I guess you like... You probably want to be part of like that Young and Dundas celebration, you know, high stepping yeah. across the the intersection with Tupac. Um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Like I, I, I honestly don't even know. I feel like mostly what I do in the playoffs when the Raps just have like a really feel good win is, um, like uh, by the time I'm like done working and like done done writing about it, just like go home and like watch the game over again and like read every piece of writing about the raps that I can and just like really like soak it in um, mm-hmm. to the fullest possible extent. Cause I don't know, man, we, we spent so much time just rooting for an irrelevant team and above all, just being relevant is um, pretty intoxicating. Yeah. It's really cool. Uh, it's different for me, I guess if like I'm at the game, if it's a home game where they clinch, I'll be there. So I can't really celebrate. Um, but, uh, I mean, I'll be celebrating inside. And if you want to, I mean, you're not supposed to cheer on press row, but uh, 
when you're sitting next to Dan Reynolds, it's hard not to just get caught up in his energy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like road games, I usually like have to medicate with a lot of alcohol because I'm just so stressed out. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, wherever that takes me, I guess, will be the celebration routine. But yeah, like you, I like reading all the stuff, listening to podcasts, probably do a podcast, like a celebratory podcast with uh, – I'll just get all – like a 20-way call going with all of the, the guests <laughs> of the show. <laughs> we'll just uh, shoot the shit for a little while and uh, and enjoy it all. But yeah, here's okay. hoping that happens. LeBron's very scary, but uh, I'm still reasonably hopeful that a, a finals appearance is in the cards for the Raptors. Um, sorry, were you going to say something? No, I mean, oh, okay. yeah, that's I'm in the same boat. And, like, that's uh, really a terrifying place to be, to feel like <laughs> I'm, I'm almost to the point where I'm feeling... I guess I'm not feeling like it's finals or bust of season, but like I'm, I'm really at a point where I feel like the Raptors are the favorites to come out of the East, and and that's frightening, man. Because then it becomes you can't even really like feel good <laughs> about <laughs> about anything until you actually get there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like everything up to that point is just going to be stress, and and then once you get there, it's just going to be like relief. Um, and, and that's part like this regular season has been so so enjoyable just because like they've already exceeded expectations to such a significant degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but once the playoffs start, like, I feel like all that's going to go away. You know, it's not going to be fun anymore. It's not going to be, like, carefree <laughs> anymore. It's just going to be stress all the time, and I don't know if I'm ready for that. Yeah, I, um, I, I'm trying to rationalize it to myself a little bit because, it like, coming into this season, this was never supposed to be the all-in year. Like, there were still two more years of this window beyond this, and... You can argue that they might even be better next year, considering the development that you would expect to pencil in for guys like Pascal and OG and Yak and Delon and Fred and all these guys, assuming Fred's back. Like, there's a lot of upside with the back half of this roster to make it even more of a hilariously good bench and good team in the regular season. Um, so, like, I don't think this is by any means, like, the end of the line. But you look at the way the East is developing and, you know, the Sixers seem to be ahead of schedule. The Celtics are going to get Hayward back. And, you know, probably another stupid high pick or whatever. And Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown will be good. And they'll probably trade for someone good also because that's what the Celtics do. Um, but I, I think maybe this year is kind of looking like maybe the best shot. And it's terrifying to think that if it doesn't happen, then maybe the opportunity never comes again. Even though I think like there will st- it'll still be on the table, maybe just to a lesser degree of likelihood. But, um, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's all very, very scary. Next question here. Comes from uh, Wednesday's guest on the podcast, Dharma Nayak. What is your top five ranking of NBA guys who would definitely get into a fist fight at every chance on the court if it was allowed, like in the NHL? <laughs> um, I mean, Serge is like an obvious one to throw out because he pretty much does that anyway, despite the rules not being NHL rules. So I feel like he's got to be in that top five. Um, and then Draymond, probably. Mm. Um I feel like maybe Robin Lopez, I feel like he's a guy who would maybe just do it for the theatricality of it. <laughs> um, uh, I, I don't know. I'm just like trying to think of other ornery dudes who, who would be happy to drop the gloves. Yeah. Like Rondo, maybe. Yeah, I'm trying to think of guys who are like like Colton Orr, Fraser McLaren adjacent. Just like not very good players who could maybe carve out a role in the league just by fighting. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Um. Yeah. Uh. I don't. Oh, I mean, like 
okay, Dante Jones isn't in the league anymore, but he would he, he like fits that to a T, right? Are we sure he's not going to get signed by the Cavs in the next week? <laughs> he's going to get signed by the Cavs to punch somebody in the nuts in, in the first round, absolutely. Um, yeah, he, he, would, he would be an awesome enforcer for sure. Yeah, I think Surge is the, the easiest one. Um, I think... Honestly, if you're looking at, like, end of bench... Like, what if Bebe just took, like, a heel turn as a fighter to sort of try to keep his job in the league? Well, it's not working out for him as a backup center. Just be a fighter when the new rules come in and, and fighting's allowed mid-play. You know, change... He's, oh, man. Not, first of all, he, he strikes me as, like, more of a pacifist. <laughs> but also... I just think how how would he even go about fighting people? Like, I, I just like I, I can't picture. It. I guess he's got a long reach. So, um, but I feel like there'd be a lot of guys who just be able to like get inside him and and start delivering body blows. And I don't know what he would he would be able to do about it. Uh, but that's a funny image. Yeah, Bebe fighting the image to me is like tossing a bowl of spaghetti in sauce. <laughs> <Just> like... <laughs> Which I guess is not the most intimidating thing in the world. Um, no, I mean Bargnani would have been a great fighter if it were. So <laughs> uh, I don't even know. I'm trying to think of like NBA players. Uh, <laughs> I can't think of any players right now. Marcus Smart probably. Yes. Yeah, that dude would throw down. It's not like he needs his hands. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's just for him breaking falls when he flops. Well, he doesn't use it for shooting. Um, yeah. I mean Lowry would probably be in there too, right? I feel like that guy's ready to throw hands yeah I don't know if he is he kind of strikes me as a bit of a someone who wouldn't actually fight but maybe I'm yeah. maybe, maybe I'm uh, underselling Lowry as a, <laughs> as a fighter I mean Boogie I think would definitely just fight people to, as a way to get rid of his frustrations with the world true um, and yeah I wish he was around to, to show us <laughs> but he's not I mean there's that that one like enduringly amazing clip of him just like um like faking a punch at Jonas's head during <laughs> I think it was like FIBA in 2014 <laughs> and, and Jonas like literally scampering into the stands like, <laughs> like it, it was yeah I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to fight Boogie I don't know if I picked five but my last one's Matthew Dellavedova Another yes. one of these guys who just might need to do it to hang on to a career. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, we forgot Blake Griffin. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> come on. True. Of course. Uh, unless he's learned and doesn't want to break his precious hands anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, last one here from Eric Morris at Epic Moppus. Top three Raptors alternate uniforms of all time. Don't forget about the preseason Italy and Spain jerseys, although I don't think we're picking either of those. Um, man, uh, I, I'm a big fan of, like, the black and red ones. Um, those are probably my favorites. Like, the um, current ones they have now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't um, know what, I don't even know what the alternate and main jersey is anymore, because the, the Nike ruined it, but, uh, yeah, the black and red ones are awesome. I know, I feel like there's been this historical revisionism about those original purple jerseys. They suck ass! They're, they're pretty gross. Yeah. Um, but obviously, like, you know, there's a nostalgia factor there that that boosts them in the rankings. I, I just don't know if I could put them in my top three. I just don't understand um, what the nostalgia was. They were terrible during that time. 
Like, they yeah, were god-awful with those. Yeah, I, I think the nostalgia is tied up more in, like, seeing the this, like, really good Raptors team, like, these good Raptors players. I mean, I, mean, I guess they don't wear them anymore, but it was, like, that um, 2014-15 season when they brought them back. Also a trash and season. It was, but, <laughs> like, at the start of that season, it was they were really good, and there was a lot of optimism, and we were still kind of getting used to um, having a good basketball team in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that was part of it, just seeing those jerseys again but seeing them worn by uh, like an actual good team created this weird dissonance where um everybody suddenly loved those jerseys just because it, <laughs> i feel like it felt cool to see these trash jerseys associated with the trash team be worn by a team that was actually worthy so i think that had a lot to do with it but again they're not good no uh there there are a few things that i've been more offended by than when donovan mitchell wore that jersey for his dunk in the dunk contest than the actual one vince carter was wearing yeah i was pretty offended by the dunk itself yep that was uh (laughs) i'd like to just have that scrub from memory it's pretty ugly pretty disrespectful (laughs) lots of attitudes i could apply to that um but i've already shat on the jazz too much already in this podcast somehow <laughs> uh yeah i think blake i don't know did you do blake's poll when he put out the the thing like trying to get the r- rankings for all the jerseys uh no i i wasn't part of the straw poll but okay. i did read it and um yeah i was i was pretty surprised that those like those throwback purple jerseys were as high as they were well blake uh, uh detailed in there that one person voted them out of, outside the top 10 that person was me i think i put them nice. at 12 yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, well done. Yeah, uh, thank you very much. It's one of my better accomplishments. Um, yeah, so the current black and reds, last year's, was it last year the blue Toronto Huskies ones? Those were great. Yeah, I, would, I put those in the top three as well. Those were very sharp. Yeah, um, and then the third one's tough. Can I just say not the camo ones? <laughs> like anything that, anything <laughs> yeah. that wasn't the camo one with sleeves, I think I'm good with. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I do feel like the they're like... What do they call them? Like the city alternates this season? Yeah. The uh, the sort of OVO colors with the chevron, which I was pretty down on at the start. They've kind of grown on me a bit. Can't lie. I think the court has helped because the court rules. Absolutely. Um, I, I think they would be better if they were purple with the chevron. I think the chevron was an amazing stroke of genius because they've had it on their jersey low-key since like 1999. And it's yeah. never really been explained or anything, and it's just kind of been an understated shout to being north. And I, I like that as sort of the main design sort of center for it. But yeah, the, I would prefer purple, but what are you going to do, I suppose? Um, the, the, I, I do like them now. Actually, they might be number three for me, even though I was kind of down on them too. Although the regu- the original OVO ones from last year with the same format, like I just like the Raptors base jersey right now. It's really nice, and any variation of that is pretty cool. I agree. Uh, is there any I have? Oh, uh, no. That's all. We can wrap this here. We've gone on long enough. Uh, cool. Joe, thank you so much for joining the 300th episode of Locked on Raptors. Do you have anything you'd like to plug right now? Tennis is uh, kind of heating up? Yeah. Um, it's Miami Open right now, um, which uh, is like a Masters 1000 tournament, one of nine. And from there, um, kind of go to clay season, and the French Open is in about two months so um unfortunately like i I only cover tennis during the slams really so um i won't have any tennis writing to plug until then but uh if anyone wants to follow me on twitter at joey underscore double y-o-u um follow along and 
when the time comes, I will be dropping extremely overlong tennis features on your heads. I kind of like it that it's only for certain times of the year. I don't know. It, it makes it feel that much more special because it's really good stuff. And I don't really like, I don't really watch or care about tennis, but I'll always read your tennis stuff because it's excellent. So I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Uh, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. We'll be back again with some episodes next week. I might The first podcast of the week might end up being recorded uh, on Sunday from uh, the ACC because the Raptors play the Clippers. I'll be there for that. So that might be the first episode of the week. I promise I'm going to be doing the trivia soon. And Joe, you are still alive in the trivia tournament. I haven't recorded it in a few weeks just because the Raptors schedule, they just like to play on Sundays. And that's like the best day for me to record because I can hammer out all the recordings at once. But uh, if it's not this week, I will start recording them once again next week. I promise. And I apologize for being a lazy ass when it comes to this but the tournament will kick off the and we only have like two more recording days left so it's not like there's that much content that you're waiting for um so to have it spread out just like joe's tennis writing and maybe there's a good argument for it um until then you can subscribe to the podcast on itunes leave a rating leave a review do all that stuff uh and uh thanks in advance for doing that and we will talk to you next week with uh the beginning of the next 300 episodes of lockdown raptors have a good one everybody Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.